Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me, as always, is my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And in this episode, we are going to cover two steps from the Sovereign Inheritance Plan, which is one, to prepare and properly execute a will, and two, to store your will properly with the appropriate access for your heirs. So, Matt, before we get started, why is having a will so important in your opinion? Well, there's a number of reasons. Um, I, I think the first one is so that you have some confidence that your wishes are going to be implemented after you're gone. Um, so it gives you a tremendous amount of power in that case where um, you are telling uh, the executive of your will and the court system and whoever else that um, this is what I want to have happen to my estate when I'm gone. So I think that's, that's one um, because the alternative to that is that the probate court is the one that decides um, on your behalf where, where your assets go. And depending on the state that you live in, the laws might vary from state to state, but in general, if you die without a will, um, your will is going to be hung up for some period of time while a judge who doesn't know you or your family decides uh, how to split up your assets. And oftentimes they will get split up, you know, based on your next of kin, but they might not. And you have no way of knowing because you've passed away and you didn't have a will. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second, even though it's, it's always the correct thing to do. You could, you know, if you die in test state, which means without a will and the probate court looks at all of your, um, your state, many times they will just look for your closest living relative to give those assets to. Right. That's right. And in some situations, that closest, that closest living relative may be your wife and kids, which is, is one scenario. But other times, uh, they can give it to siblings or parents, depending on how old you are when you die. Sure. They're going to basically go down the line of your next of kin um, in most states, I believe. Um, I know it's like that here in Georgia but they're going to go down the line of who's closely, most closely related to you. And uh, that's, who's going to get, get your stuff. Right. And I guess I didn't play much of devil's advocate there, but I think the point I was trying to make was that understanding that the probate court will likely give your heirs to your at, likely give your assets to your heirs doesn't make dying without a will a good idea. The, the intestate process can be very long. It can be somewhat complicated depending on your state. And it can also leave you open to challenges from other heirs. Right. When I mentioned the fact that, that it could take a long time for it to get through that process, uh, that could be part of it for sure. That if you're, you know, if you pass away and you have a spouse and no children and no other living relatives, you know, that might be a fairly straightforward intestate probate process. But if you have, you know, multiple living relatives, parents, siblings, 
children, spouse, whatever, um, there could be conflict among those who, who are left. And, and, and that's also a point that, that is worth mentioning is that part of what you're trying to do is to minimize the potential conflict between your family if you're not there. Mm-hmm. Also, something that I don't think a lot of people realize when you are dealing with uh, a situation where there is no will is that the court can set a time for other people to come forward and challenge uh, what they might do or to make themselves known. There's even something, uh, I can speak to Georgia because I know Georgia fairly well. Um, there is a, a rule, depending on how your will is petitioned in Georgia, there are two ways to do it. One way is to notify all possible heirs that you are deceased. And if anyone has a challenge, they can come forward. This is, keep in mind, if you do have a will. And then there is a, uh, something called to petition your will in common form which means that the heirs do not have to come forward and do anything. However, there is a four-year wait in order to distribute the assets, and this is even if you have a will. So if people were to hear, well, you know, if I die without a will and it's just me and my two kids and I, I, I don't really need to do anything, the court's going to get it and they'll distribute these assets to my heirs and what's the point of, of going through a will? The reality is, is that that actually that actually might happen, that the, your assets will go to where you want them to go. But you don't know how long your ears are going to wait. And in some situations, it can be years. And in many people's situations, they don't have years to wait. They might be relying on some of those assets um, if there's you know not sufficient life insurance in place, depending on the financial situation of the deceased. You could be in a in a scenario where uh, your family desperately needs to get to assets, and it's tied up literally for years. I think that's a great point, and I think uh, one way that people can think about that is. If the, uh, I'm going to call it the uh, major breadwinner for their family, wherever, whatever the, 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 the adult in their household with the majority of the income, assuming is not 50-50 or anything like that, if, if they were to uh, pass away unexpectedly, how long can the rest of the family survive if there is no income coming in and there is no access to any of the assets from before? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a challenge, and I think it's something that happens very commonly, especially in households where there's a single breadwinner or a primary breadwinner, and that's the type of situation where you know the clock is really ticking um, as far as the money that's available to the family after someone passes away, and and anything you can do to shorten the the red tape process uh, is certainly welcome. All right, so let's talk about some of the good news. Uh, so wills don't have to be overly complicated or expensive. You could actually go online and find a will that is perfectly usable. Uh, some of the most basic wills are just going to say that, you know, all the rest and remainder of my state is going to go to X, and that person is usually your spouse. So you don't, and you don't have to have an attorney draft that. You don't really have to have anything that's particularly sophisticated. Doesn't have to be, doesn't have to have certain language, but uh, chances are, if you're watching this, you have access to the internet, and there are a number of wills that you can get or find for for free on the internet. There are also a number of internet services like a Legal Zoom, where you can get a will for a hundred dollars or less. 
what you do need to watch out for is that your will is properly executed. Right. And, and let me back up and, and let's start with our, uh, our disclaimer, which is that we are not estate attorneys. We are not attorneys. We're not giving any legal advice. Um, you know, I don't know if a free online will serves the purpose of what anyone listening might need. So we're not recommending any solution. You need to consult with your legal advisor on that. Um, but at the same time, there are solutions that don't require you to have to go through um, any really expensive or complicated process. Um, and I think you were just starting to talk about LegalZoom. So uh, keep going from there. Yeah, you know, uh, first of all, I always think it's best in any of these matters to get a professional. We can all go online and find something, but, you know, uh, a legal Zoom will, I think, starts at around $100. And I think a lot of people can find a, a professionally prepared or professionally drafted will locally in the $350 to $500 range. That's not that much different. And if, and when I say that 350 to $500, I mean, drafted by, uh, an attorney and that attorney should hopefully, uh, make sure that that will is properly executed. Now, one thing I do want to put as a disclaimer here is that you do need to be careful whether you are downloading a document from the internet or whether you're finding an attorney, just because you use an attorney doesn't mean that you are bulletproof. And obviously, if you download a document from the internet and use it as a will, uh, I don't think anyone should assume they would be bulletproof with that. So you still have to use good judgment in this process. But you don't need to find the, um, the best or most expensive estate attorney you can. Uh, most people's estates are not particularly complicated. And just having a a competently prepared will and of course uh, correctly executed will uh, will make an enormous amount of difference and and I would even say that it's uh, it's a bit negligent uh, to not have one in place yeah and, and maybe let's talk a little bit about what we mean by properly executed um, and again this is a very state specific uh, thing where every state is going to have their own rules as far as how things need to get executed. But generally speaking, you're talking about a will that's been signed in the presence of two witnesses um, that has the appropriate supplementary affidavit so that a notary can make sure that um, the witnesses have properly uh, witness the will. And um, I know in Georgia, they call that a self-proving affidavit so that you have the document that shows who the witnesses are, that somebody verified that they were the actual witnesses and doing all of these things, you know, in whatever state you're in, signing, witnessing, and having a notary attest to that is really an important step uh, when it comes time for the will to actually be needed because if it's not properly executed, the first thing that may happen is it's going to get caught up in probate anyway, which is what we're trying to avoid. Exactly. The, the execution of the will, I would say, is just as important as the content of the will, if not more important, because you can have good content and poor execution and your will will be essentially invalid by the court. That's right. And I think a lot of times the content of the will is going to be intentionally generic. 
Um, you know, you mentioned that everything, you know, the remainder gets left to X and that's a pretty common structure. Um, it's not gonna, the will itself is not going to, uh, is not going to list out every single one of your assets and where they are, which is what we talked about in the last episode. That's why it's so important for you to do that. Um, and to keep that updated because the will is really just a way for the court to know that you had last wishes and you want them to be carried out the way that you intended. Exactly. So moving on to trusts, which I think is something that confuses a lot of people, particularly people who do not have a trust. If you don't mind, how would you describe a trust to someone who has historically been really confused when they hear that in regards to estate planning? So I think the easiest way to describe it is that a trust is essentially a company that you set up. Um, for lack of a better term, it's not a company in the same way that a corporation is a company, um, but it is a legal entity, um, meaning that it actually has legal standing. Um, and what the trust does is it allows you in general, and there are different types of trust and they serve different purposes. Um, but for the purposes of this discussion, we're really talking about um, putting your assets into a trust to establish that kind of uh, chain of, of custody between you and your heirs down the line. So what you're doing is you are placing your assets into the possession of this legal entity, and then you're setting up documents to be able to say, okay, these are the people that are in charge of the assets that this entity owns. Um, and here are the limitations under which they can uh, access and distribute those assets. And so it gives you the ability to kind of uh, more specifically split up assets between people that you want to leave them to when you're gone. And the other piece of that is, you know, these are typically designed for folks that have a higher net worth or maybe a more complicated mm -hmm. asset structure where you can't just say, okay, I'm going to give half to one kid and half to the other and be done. It's, you know, you have uh, a lot of assets and maybe non-traditional assets and you want to make sure that those are getting distributed um, outside of the probate court. Right. And the trust can also help you control those assets, even if you're not here, meaning the assets can stay in a trust and maybe instead of distributing, let's just say you have $10 million and you want to give $5 million to your wife and $2.5 million to each of your kids. But you don't necessarily trust your kids to get $2.5 million when you're not here to monitor them, et cetera. So you can set something up in the trust where maybe they get to make something up, you know, $100,000 a year for X number of years where you don't let the trust give them all of the estate at one time. And there are a number for of sure. reasons why you'd want to do a trust. But yeah. I think for, for the purpose of this, most people are going to do it, are going to get into very lengthy discussions with their estate attorneys. And um, that's fine. So I think we can we can move on to storing your will, which is surprisingly. Well, hang on one second. The, one, one last thing I want to, I want to mention about trust is that when you set up a trust, um, the most important thing about setting up that trust is that you fund it properly. Mm -hmm. And um, otherwise you're just setting it up for no reason. And this is a very common thing where people go through the, the 
effort to put the trust in place and they set up all of the um, trustees and beneficiaries and all do all of the things that you need to do. Um, but then they don't properly move their assets into that trust. So you have assets sitting outside of the trust with a trust that's telling you how to distribute the assets in certain circumstances. And that's just, you know, we, that's the equivalent of having the biggest, best safe you can buy and storing your valuables on top of it. Mm -hmm. And, and one of the reasons I think people don't, uh, don't get around to funding that trust is because it can be a nuisance. You know, it can be a real headache to do it, especially if you're trying to do it yourself and have it not being done by a professional. For sure. All right. Well, let's keep going to uh, storing your will. Right. So this was one that I'm surprised is such a problem for people. I'm surprised it's such a thing that we would actually, this just would not be kind of common knowledge. But surprisingly, if you were to go around and ask people, do you have a will? And maybe half the people you ask will say yes. And then you, you could ask them, well, where do you store your will? And that's when you get some really creative answers. And the, the simple answer to where you store a will is in a safe in your home. It's really not any more complicated than that. People try and come up with some more complicated ways to do it, which we're going to go over here in a second. But really, the simple answer, if you're not going to listen to any more from here forward, is just have a safe, which was rule number one. And then when you have your properly drafted and executed will, make sure you put that will inside your safe and make sure your heirs have access to it. Yep. And, and with that, let's talk about some of the places you want to avoid. And I, I know in your last example, you're talking about a trust and you can set up, you know, you could buy the heaviest, biggest safe in the world. And then you, if you don't uh, fund that trust, um, it's similar to uh, not putting your will in that big safe. And I actually have a friend who has a safe and I asked him recently, you know, where do you keep your will? And he keeps it in like a drawer. And the reason is they never learned how to use their safe. Right. So when you ask, when I ask people where they store their will, um, I would say the home safe is an answer that I get, but it's probably, I would say maybe, maybe 10 to 20% of the time someone says that it's in a safe in their house. Uh, the most common places that I hear are file cabinets, um, safe deposit box at the bank with my attorney um, in a, some sort of drawer or, you know, storage bin type of, uh, location. That's, those are the most common ones I hear. And, um, and I can tell you that other than the answer, I store it in a safe in my home. Um, the other solutions are, are not the best practice when it comes to storing your will. They're actually not good at all. So let's let's destroy them. Let's let's explain why they're a bad idea. So the one that I think is kind of interesting is because it's a bit counterintuitive, is that people think that storing their will in a safe deposit box in the bank is the safest place they can put it. And in reality, it's not really a safe place at all because and you've got a really good example that you use for this. I'm going to let you finish this one off with your uh, chicken and the egg example. Well, yeah, the, um, the reality is that 
if you store your will in a safe deposit box at the bank, um, well, first of all, let's, the first issue there is access. Banks have limited hours. So if something happens and you need to get to the will, um, and you know, if it's a weekend, if it, if it's a holiday weekend, whatever it is, um, if the bank isn't open, you're not getting to the will. So that's the first piece. The second one is that most banks will allow the executor of the will to access the will that's in the safe deposit box. But it's the original copy of the will that establishes who the executor is. So you, you can go to the, you know, let's say that you're the executor of my will and I pass away and I'm keeping my will in a safe deposit box at my bank. And you go to the bank and you say, hi, I'm the executor of Matt Burke's estate and I'm here to uh, access the safety deposit box. And they say, okay, great. Um, well, show me the copy of the will that establishes you as the executor. Oh, well, it's in the safe deposit box. You're now in a loop that you can't really get out of because you know, it's the chicken and the egg scenario where the, your authority to access that safe deposit box is established by something that's in the safe deposit box. And so that's something you really want to avoid. Um, and, and banks, because they're dealing with legal documents and they're dealing with people's assets, they're not just going to, they're, they're certainly not going to take your word for it. And they're not most likely not going to take a copy of the will as, um, something that, that works for them. Sure. And also something to worry about is when you say, if you say to the bank, I need to have access to the safe deposit box because my, my spouse just died. Well, as soon as the bank hears that, they can just lock that account, which is something we talked about in an earlier episode of making yeah, sure they'll just freeze it. Yeah, they'll freeze it. So you can't get in at all. I mean, look, there are always ways to get in. You can go to courts, you can go fight legal battles, but you know, something to keep in mind as we're talking about this, we're talking about fighting legal battles. Legal battles are really expensive, really, really expensive. You, the, and the slow. Aren't, very slow, very, very slow, very expensive. And your heirs may not have the money or the time to comfortably go through this process, regardless of what your assets are. So moving on to another mistake that people make, and I, I like this one a lot, which is storing your will with your attorney. So people think that storing your will with your attorney is like the safest thing you can do. And a lot of times it can be an okay idea. It's not a, it's not a horrible idea. Storing your will in a safe deposit box is a pretty horrible idea. But storing your will with an attorney is not a horrible idea. I think it's just uh, a really bad idea. And the reason for it is, is that, you know, attorneys are supposed to be trusted, but attorneys get disbarred every year. I know in my career, I have personally seen three attorneys that I've worked with get disbarred. So that means that while the attorney had a certain obligation, while you thought you could trust them because they were an attorney, it means they weren't trustworthy at all. And in, in the three situations I know about, they stole money from people. They stole money from their escrow accounts. So sure. people- and yeah. And, and while, you know, every, first of all, everybody always thinks that, you know, well, that's not going to happen to me and chances are it won't. But at the same time, this is not 
it's not an uncommon thing um, for people that have, you know, control over sensitive information are able to do bad things with it. It's just the the reality of the world. Mm -hmm. And, and so from that standpoint, I think it, it does make it a bad idea. I think one of the maybe more practical things that's possibly even a worse contributing factor is that attorneys move around a lot. They switch firms. Um, that, you know, if you are, um, you know, forgetting any type of uh, unexpected accident where you die prematurely. Um, but, you know, if you put your will in place um, when you're, you know, when you have young children or if you're middle age or even if you're young or whatever, and your attorney at the time was a perfectly competent attorney and you stored your will with him, well, by the time you need the will, Maybe they've retired or maybe they've passed away themselves or maybe, you know, they've switched firms three times and your will is still sitting in uh, in a different lawyer's office at this point. So it's just it, it's hard to keep track of where the will actually is and how to get to it if uh, if an attorney is the one in control of it. Right. And also your your family would also have to know who your attorney is. So. Many times when when your will is prepared, your spouse may may not know who the attorney is. And even if he or she does, you still have to remember it 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, however, however much time it's been. And, you know, when you're dealing with a loss of a loved one, maybe your memory is not as sharp as it might be in the best of times. But. I know that, you know, remembering a name that you only use for something five or 10 years ago can be extremely challenging if you're the one that did it. But if it was secondhand, and let's just say your, your spouse or your, your parent did it, there's a very good chance they have no idea of who your attorney is. For sure. And, 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 and with that, sorry, you know, as opposed to something we're going to get into later, which is our trusted people, an attorney doesn't know that you've died. They don't know that you've passed away and that, you know, upon your death, they're supposed to reach out to, to these people. They, they don't have, there's not like a, a computer system that notifies them that one of their clients who they wrote a will for has passed away. It's sure. either, you know, in some situations, it may be a family friend and that, that'd be a little different. But if it's a, if it's just an attorney that writes a lot of wills, um, they have no idea that that something's happened to you, and so they're not going to be reaching out to your heirs. And so, uh, a lot of times, that will just get kind of lost in the shuffle, and and your heirs may never know uh, where your will is. Right. So. Something else that you can do with your will is you can file your will while you're still alive with the probate court. And this, mm -hmm. this does vary from state to state. Um, one of the things that, that I don't think is really great about this is that it, it makes your will public information. And in some states, yes, in some states, look, every jurisdiction is different. You know, things can be weird even down to the County level. Uh, I, I know that, you know, we deal with, uh, I've pretty good amount of experience in dealing with a probate court. And there are times that 
the, the probate clerk just won't let you have a file, even though you're allowed to have access to it. They'll decide for whatever reason, you don't have access to this file. Usually that happens in, uh, in smaller counties where they're, you know, kind of everyone knows each other, mm -hmm. but you're still at the mercy of the, depending on the county and depending on their systems, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you still may be at the, uh, the mercy of a clerk, but also, uh, if someone knows you have your will filed and, you know, they can simply just go down the courthouse and look it up. Right. And, and even though the laws of the state that you live in might make that will private until you've passed away, um, that doesn't mean it's truly private, practically speaking. Somebody can get their hands on it if they want to. And really, the you know, like you said, if you live in a in a smaller, maybe rural rural setting where um, everybody knows each other, you know, you want to make sure that that nobody's going to get into your business before before the time is right. But um, but that's one of the things where uh, in some situations it might might make sense to just have it filed uh, in a state where it only gets revealed after you've died and it, it speed, you know, speeds up the process, but, uh, but that's really on a case by case basis. And it's gotta be a kind of specific need to do that. I would think. Yeah. And I would say, look, if you're listening to this podcast and you're really interested in implementing a sovereign inheritance plan, you're not looking to take a lot of shortcuts. You're not looking to cut a lot of corners. And so the, the simple thing to do is to go and get a professionally drafted will, make sure it's executed correctly with a reputable attorney. And when you're finished with that, put it in a home safe and something we're going to get into later, which is also making sure that your loved ones can get access to that safe. That's right. It's not, this is not super complicated. Um, it is, I don't want to say it's just common sense because I don't think it's just common sense. I think it's something you do have to learn. And I, I, I think that, you know, going through, uh, you know, even though you and I both have sort of a, a financial background, financial education background, it's not something that's really brought up much, it's something pretty specific that you have to learn about in life. You know, it's just not a, it's, it's not common knowledge that, um, you put a will in a safe. And like I said, even, even friends of mine who are extremely successful, uh, aren't doing what they should be doing. Sure. I, and I know I've mentioned this before. I mean, I, you know, I have friends who I consider to be extremely sophisticated professionals, um, that, you know, even though they've taken the appropriate steps to be responsible, uh, the execution falls short because they, because they've done things that, you know, go against some of the things that we're saying in terms of where it's being stored, um, and, uh, and how it was executed and all of those kinds of things. So it's, um, it's not difficult to do, but it just takes some, some education and somebody that is knowledgeable to help you do it right. And, um, if you just take that little bit of extra time and consult with the right people, um, you're going to save yourself and your family a lot of headache down the road. And you will put yourself in there. There's no such thing as bulletproof, but you'll put yourself in great, great shape. If you follow these, uh, these instructions. For sure.
So with that, Matt, uh, anything else you want to add to this? Uh, no, I think we covered it. Um, you know, we're going to keep going through the uh, sovereign inheritance planning steps. I think this is uh, this is they're all important. Um, this is an important one. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, it's one of those that is uh, it's very important and it's very easy to do right. Um, but it's also easy to do it wrong. So uh, you just want to make sure you know, know what you're doing. And if you don't, that you get somebody to help you. Right. And I would say if there's only, you know, we have 14 steps in the sovereign inheritance plan. I would say if you're only going to follow three steps, if you can, if you, if you say, listen, I'm, I'm not going to follow all 14, just give me the bare bones of what I need to do. My answer, my personal answer and yours might be different than mine is get a safe, get a will, put your safe, I'm sorry, put your, put your will in the safe and make sure your heirs know how to get to your safe. Pretty simple. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. That's, that's critical. Great. So if you don't mind, where can people find us? So we can be found on Twitter at, uh, at BTC Butlers, our website, btcbutlers.com. Uh, our email is info at btcbutlers.com. Uh, you can DM us on Twitter. If you are watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, or if you're listening in a podcast, uh, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you're getting it from. And uh, if you have any questions or if you need help with uh, a sovereign inheritance plan or implementing any of the uh, best practices for Bitcoin owners, feel free to reach out. We'd love to help you. Excellent. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye.